This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top tier lineup. With Leap Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Blue Monday podcast. This is a special show wrapping up our sixth season as a podcast and Ipswich Town's 2021 campaign. Joining me tonight is uh, pod stalwart Joe Fares and also joining us who um, made an appearance at the Christmas halfway point review, Andy Warren. Gentlemen, how are you? And we're, we're all kind of a little bit sad because we should be joined by Graham Mack, but the technical demons have unfortunately defeated him. So we're saluting um, Graham digitally. Um, we'll start with Andy. How are you? I gutted, I assume, because you're only here for Graham, aren't you? I was. Yeah, he, he wore an elf hat, didn't he? At the last, the last one of these, I was hoping for that again, but we, we couldn't, we couldn't get the job done. So um, I have to make do with just me. I'm afraid. Well, uh, that's fine. You're, you are very. Sloppy seconds. I was going to say no. It's much better than that. So um, it's yeah, good to have you back. And I even I even created for people watching on YouTube like a special branded background. And then I realised that the way that it's placed means you can't see the East Anglia Daily Times logo. Anyway, sure. in, in, in yeah, N, there's a little N. So it's it's as good as useless anyway. So I will revert back yeah. to um our non-branded um McDonald's ripoff arches. Um, Joe, how are you? Tell us about um the. It's just kind of apparel that you are wearing this evening because you teased us with um, the away shirt from the season with the new with the new sponsor and shorts and socks. Dare I say it for a, for a brief second, but it's something different for us now. Yeah, I had I had the full kit on earlier because my um, children love to see the yellow socks in action, the outrageous third kit that we had that just seemed to work when it shouldn't. But now I've got the Wembley two thousand warm up shirt and. As I was saying on the previous record, the punch sizing is huge. It's how we used to play in these kits, I do not know, especially when you see the material of them, especially the early core ones. They are they're like fleeces, but yeah. 
I think the um, quality of Adidas is slightly superior to what Punch was, but we have lost the uniqueness of design. We have. Could you imagine Adidas putting a red and blue quartered horse down the sleeve of a shirt? A Kappa ripoff? No, I suspect not. But I mean, that's what we've got to look forward to now, haven't we? You know, we're in the summer now, um, and this this show is all about saying goodbye to the last season, which is not going to be one that goes down in the annals of ITFC history. So we'll do our best to kind of try and find the light and shade. And the good thing about this part of the season, uh, unlike the previous, um, is um, there's quite a lot of exciting off-field things to discuss. We, we're not going to drill too much in those. Obviously, um, the Kings of Anglia, uh, Andy and the guys have, have done that. We've done that as well. Um, Graham's um, phone-ins have dealt with those kind of things in detail. I think what we'll, what we'll try to do is just kind of take a stand, uh, kind of, a little bit more of a stand back and, and more of a neutral perspective and just assess how things have played out a few months down the line, particularly the appointment of Paul Cook. Spoiler alert. Um, and another thoughts we've got. Um, but I want to start with the predictions that we all made um, in the, at the end of the last show. Um, I'll start with Graham's because he's not here. And, and it's one that still, Graham can be the one who actually succeeds in making a correct prediction. Um, he predicted the Tractor Girls to win um, their first well, a promotion up the divisions, which is long overdue and well-deserved. There is a process that I think they're going through and we are waiting to hear, I think. Uh, and I'm trying to remember the previous recording whether, Andy, you gave some really useful insight, whether you disagree with me. I gave I gave a nod and a smile. Um, it's maybe not my place to say uh, how that might turn out, but, but Graham might be uh, sipping champagne, hopefully. Okay fingers crossed so th- that's one that we can hope with i i tacked on a promotion for the men's team as well but um what i meant was the under 18s and unfortunately obviously they lost their playoffs to wigan um joe's prediction was pretty good kieran died to manage at least one match um for the first team and i was it, it was important that i clarified that on the pod you're quite i listened back to it you're quite uh, incredulous at, at my making that you know distinction joe but i think it's important for podland to understand what we're talking about and to be fair, he did the press after Shrewsbury instead of Paul Cook. Uh, so I think you know that's a half a point for you there, I think. And um and Andy, Luke Chambers scoring the first and last goal of the kind of calendar, this half of the calendar year for the season. Close, but in our previous version of the recording, you mentioned the Gillingham game and he scored the first goal against in the Paul Cook era. So you're going for that. So half a point for you there as well, I think. So well done, all of us. Um for managing to to make most of those pretty crappy predictions. Um, let's move it on. Um, Andy, you look like you're about to take me to task on crappy predictions. No, no, I've, no. I, I just assumed I'd made an even worse prediction than that. No, no. To be honest, Not too I'm bad. happy. I'm happy with that. I thought I would have gone far too over the top and predicted some kind of glorious end to the season, which um, yeah. did not happen. Um, and spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, and um, I, I, I think yeah, I made the biggest fool of myself anyway. But let's, um, we are in January. We have just um, come out of a pretty dismal December with fixtures cancelled left, right and centre, um, including the Fleetwood game, um, which was um, due to be played on the 1st of January. Um, so our first action, I think, is the, Sw- is the Swindon game, is it? Um, so we'll talk about that because I think, You've got some ties to Swindon, haven't you, Andy? So we'll talk about that. But I think what what I wanted um, to gather from you guys, obviously January is um, transfer windows opens up, four loans in the window, Andy. Um, Luke Thomas, Josh Harrop, Troy Parrott and Luke Matheson. What was your take on on this 
policy of avoiding these kind of deals being reinstated? Um, was that a level of desperation? A little bit of that. I think it was a needs must as well. At this time, we got to remember the um, the salary cap, the League One salary cap was still in still in place. Ipswich were right up against that. Um, very like really, really tight up against it. So I th- they got Janoi Danassian out on loan, which enabled them to bring some in. So yeah, it's going back to the loans, but it, realistically, they had so little room to manoeuvre in January and we know that Paul Lambert wants bodies in January. Every January he's talked about the cavalry coming and things like that. Um, ultimately, this this cavalry didn't come over the hill and, and rescue anything, but he got the bodies that he wanted. Um, yeah. It's just they just didn't have the impact. They didn't deliver, did they? And, and, and Joe, in terms of the departures, I mean, there was there was a point where um, Elkham Baggett was, was linked with every decent Premier League team going. I think Leeds particularly were, were favoured there. Um, Corey and Darber left on, on loan to air. I think Brett McGavin joined him shortly after. Um, Idris Elmazuni joined Paul Hurst's Grimsby. Um, any thoughts on those? And he's mentioned Danassian, but particularly those younger players who yeah, probably Elkham Baggett's a bit, it was a bit too soon for him at that point. But Ndaba, Elmazuni, would you have hoped they would have got a chance? Well, in Dar- in Darba was I'd have hoped he'd have got a chance when we we're going back to August, but by the, by this time we had McGuinness, Chambers, Wolfenden, Wilson, Enciala there that he just wasn't going to get a chance to play. So going out and getting football was the right thing for him. But I, so it was, it was the right thing to do. But I don't agree. We should have been in that situation where he was going out on loan at that point. I think he should have been playing a role this season. The same with Idris Elmazuni, really. I, I think he's one that could have made a big impact here this season, especially when you saw the injuries that we ended up having, but. The loan move was probably the best, the best thing for him to get him away from it in the end, really. But I'd say none, none of the players made the impact expected. But when you look at the quality of players brought in, they should have made the impact. But by this point, the squad was in just such a muddle, and it felt like that long COVID break that we had, sort of a, across the new year, almost saved Paul Lambert's job again. For the COVID saved his job for the second time because had the results dipped as they as they did in the subsequent games, when, when would we have got rid of him at that point? And would, th- would there be a chance that we'd have got rid of him and given Paul Cook as the manager that the only wanted that transfer window to make a difference? And if we'd have done that, would Cook have done a better job? And would the Marcus Evans decided not to sell and we end up where we were? So there's a lot of sliding doors moments, I think, this season. Yep. Um, finally, the ball's kicked in anger in, um, against Swindon and... I think a lot of us were fight, were really happy to see the return of football, and it's a bit of a collapse in this one. I mean, there's there's obviously this free goal. I mean, it's a brilliant goal from um, from Twine, but um, Swindon really struggling at that point um, and struggled after beating us as well. And and Andy, this you're kind of hoping that, as Joe said, the break has revitalised us, but it certainly did, and and a pretty poor result um, mm. to come back to, isn't it? Yeah, they they looked sluggish. I thought in that in that game from from the start, there was a there was a I don't know a tiredness around everyone. Like you say, Scott Twine scored that sensational goal. They didn't handle was it the, the winger um, Diang Jayasimi at all well that day. He 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 ran at he ran at fullbacks and caused real trouble. Second half, they brought I think I think Downs and Norwood came on at half time in that and injected a little bit of life, but um, too late. Too late, the, really. The though. left back they picked up from Brentford was, yeah, Thompson, Thompson, 
it was his debut. I think it, they gave two or three debuts that day, didn't they? And they, um, yeah, outplayed. Was that on Sky? It was, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, outplayed on TV again. And and Swindon season ends in, in relegation. So that was kind of certainly a, a freak result for them. And and it just starts the ball rolling on on the kind of anti-Lambert mm. sentiment. Um, you know, Lambert had, has been quite active at this point in, in talking about it's morally wrong to be playing football. Um, during COVID, he's obviously been struck down with it quite badly. Um, but you know, there's a there's a bit of respite with a scrappy win at Burton. Um, but um, we, normal services resumed when we lose to Peterborough, who even miss a penalty. And Paul Lambert comes out after that and says he couldn't fault any of the players for their performances. And this is when blue action start to kick into gear. I mean, their target is is Evans, but with it's a focus on. Second Lambert and previously the Southwest Supporters Branch have written an open letter calling for Lambert to go. So the pressure is building. Um and then we get this Sunderland match where again we're on Sky. Um and within a few minutes, Caden Jackson sent off and it's another one-nil defeat. Are, are you feeling that at this point, guys, anytime any the next defeat is the one that he go he goes? Or Andy, I guess you you've kind of did you feel that anything was imminent at this stage? Um, this was the kind of time where, where we were talking daily about whether the time was right to do, to call for it ourselves on the, on the front page of the paper, which we were, we were getting pressure to do. We talked about that nearly every day around, around this time. I remember, um, remember, I think we probably did actually, I think, well, I think it was after the Peterborough game that we, that we did. I think from memory, um, the loss at home to Peterborough that we actually did that, or maybe it was, maybe it was Sunderland. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's not great. Is it at this point? It's you, no. you get, you, you get into the point where you're going into games feeling sort of an inevitability about, about the defeat. And then it, and then it comes and then, um, yeah, you can, you can just see that things are sliding one way and you can see the season sliding away at this point as well. And you're, you're wondering at what point, what point that season needs to have something done to it to kind of shock it into life. And we, we all knew what that big change could be, but like you say, it's another month until, until it actually happens. Joe, the criticism of Evans kind of ratchets up and then midway through the month, I think it's just after the Peterborough defeat before Sunderland, um, Evans comes out and probably backs Lambert again. And, the pressure now is on both of them, isn't it? And, you know, I, I've written to the club, I think at least once and maybe twice at this point, I think you'd done similar. It just felt an utterly helpless situation, didn't it? Yeah, it was, it was obvious to anybody who was watching the games, who knew anything about the mood around the club, that there was no way that season under Paul Lambert was going to end in promotion. And so we, obviously it didn't anyway, but we needed to give it a go. There was obviously the talk of the salary cap, which, still at this point was um, looking like it was going to come in the next season, looking like it was still going to be in place the next season. And it's just like, what are we doing here? You need to try and do something to salvage this season. But yet, Evans just seemed so slow to act. Obviously, there was we later found out there was a lot going on in the background, but it just seemed incredible that he he felt it right to continue sort of, sort of employing Paul Lambert at this point because it was just... It was just so poor, and there was just no, there, there was no pos- positives coming out of it. Even the signings, like sometimes a bit unlucky, but Josh Harrop comes in, gets COVID on his first day, 
is out for two weeks and then never looks right after that. Luke Thomas gets sent back and ends up going back. Luke Matheson plays two games, then we never see see him again, and he's back playing for Wolves reserves by the end of the season. It's just, like I say, it's just how much how much more could the fan base take? And it was just getting to the stage where it's normally season ticket renewals, and it's like, well, what is what is going to happen? Because no one's going to renew their season ticket at as things stand at the moment on the back of COVID. It just seemed. The club takes such a well. Obviously, when I talk about the club, I'm talking about the club under Marcus Evans. It's like they take such a lazy attitude to trying to market itself on things like that. It's, and it's like if if the season ticket numbers were down, they'd have just blamed COVID as to why not taking any responsibility. That it's actually the fact that it's being run terribly and we, we're going nowhere. And and we go into February. Leo Neal starts to make this run of questionable public statements you know the the loan route was the only option um as a statement that comes out in february the only being that the league one salary caps are scrapped following an arbitration hearing um by an independent panel so um it, it just feels like they're kind of go on, Joe. I, th- I think the problem I, f- I find with it is that if, if you look at every individual decision on its own merits, I think you can justify any of them. You can justify bringing in Luke Matheson and letting Janelle Dinashian go out on loan because he's a more attacking player, which Lambert wanted. You can justify bringing in Luke Thomas because we were lacking in the wings. You can justify Josh Harrop because we're struggling in that position. You can justify Mark McGuinness at the start of the season. But whilst you can justify each individual decision, if you take a step back and look at it, it's it's a total mess and it's like where is the sort of overarching strategy and to actually manage the squad and it's one of the first things Paul Cook noticed when he comes in that there's about 40 players that you effectively have you ended up with a, a secondary squad of players that are just training someone like Emir Hughes doesn't even train for the last two or three months he's here and players Luke Matheson just gets sent back Luke Thomas just gets sent back and you and you end up just thinking how how has it been allowed to get into this mess? All the and you've got twenty odd players out of contract in one summer. Yeah, bits and pieces of news in February. We'll go through the matches. Obviously, Kane um, uh, Vincent Young so close to return to action um, is injured in training and has six more weeks out. Um, and Andy, what? I mean, a, a, another victory over Blackpool though. And there's always this sense with Lambert that he gets the result when he needs it. But we we doubled Blackpool this season, who may or may not go up through the playoffs, which is interesting. But um, yeah, did, did, I guess, and then the return back to earth is um, the Peterborough defeat, um, which I think, which I guess you were at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, you kind of, the Peterborough is a real quiz, wasn't it? And despite the early goal, we never, ever looked like a holding onto it or doubling the, mm. the score, did we? They were two strange games, weren't they? Because the black the Blackpool game was um, the Luke. I'll remember that for Luke Matheson because that was his game where he. I think was I'm right in saying that was that would have been his debut, and he he gave everything that you'd want him to give some energy, some some width, attacking up and down the pitch, and then for the Peterborough game they they kind of ditched those two fullbacks and went back to to Chambers and Ward um, to play the pitch. The pitch was was boggy um maybe not as bad as it looked on tv um on ground level but um that's the game that kind of endures to this day with with james norwood taking offense at being the big lump up front i think that's where he gets that 
that that um, that from who yeah adrian durham called him i don't think by name but he just insinuated that Ipswich were lumping it up to the big well, lump up front. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah but that's what they that, that's what they went for a very, they played the elements rather than peterborough that night and um you you're right they took the lead but really it, they never really looked like winning winning that game and that's another defeat to a top six team um followed by by two miserable home draws which was a pretty dreadful period really yeah i, I was chucked in there as well and i wanted to ask ask you about this particularly at this point we're still there's still quite a spiky covid curve and travel and stuff like that is difficult did you make the trip to shrewsbury only to have it called off an hour yeah. before kickoff yeah. yeah we uh we walked into the ground and the first thing we saw was them taking the goalposts down <laughs> which 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 isn't ideal um then then there was a nice little hang around on the touchline for half an hour while they they were trying to play it the following day on on sunday which would have been great um but they couldn't get hotels sorted and things like that so they ended up not so yeah trekked home again basically went to shrewsbury had a had a burger king um in a service station and came wow. home it was really not actually quite yeah. a nice day that's all right isn't it who did the driving uh, Stu and I share the drive-in. It was quite nice. Okay. So, yeah, that's all right. It's all right. Um, <laughs> um, and that kind of then leads Just to... Just thinking the, of the way back up. I can't wait to be driving back up here on a Tuesday night later in the season. Say, there's, and then the congestion issue starts to kind of kick off a bit, doesn't it? And then these two these two draws that you talk about, I mean, the Northampton 0-0 was, was bloody horrible, wasn't it, um, Joe? And this game kind of more notorious for Alan Judge and referee Darren Drysdale facing off. Is this one of the worst Ipswich? I mean, there's there's some more crap games to come, but this was this was pretty pretty poor, wasn't it? It felt like a nadir, didn't it, to the season? Mm. It was just the the fact that they could easily have won two or three nil. It, it they they were the better side all night and sort of created chances. And they were this poor team being managed by the former Redditch manager who been working for them in the youth team or something like that and had managed to it, it just felt so often teams just came and looked so much better organized better coached fitter than we were every, every single week it was happening and it's just this one was a frustrating one and, and like i say for all the the talk of the alan judge instant that that should have been a penalty in the last minute which <laughs> would have which would have got us a very underserved one nil victory but it's, it's funny because it seemed a, that seemed a bigger deal to non-ipswich fans and ipswich fans because i think we were so caught up in how bad the result was that it or how bad the performance was maybe more than the result that that incident just seemed to just be brushed over a little bit and until it became huge national news yeah and the, the Flynn down sending off seemed to be the the heat and the, the moment seemed to be there um and I, I, I wanted to, I mean the dominoes are starting to fall here and in, in respect to Paul Lambert you know he, he goes on the PR offensive quite a bit in the coming days but jackson and nolan sounds like some kind of bbc one crime drama um being frozen out into the um under 23s jackson presumably for the situation around the sending off to sunderland nolan because i didn't th- i think he went all the way to shrewsbury possibly or a, a crew i think it was um and and or didn't want to go and would prefer to stay with his wife and kids or something um was banished to the under 23s and these are these are the kind of things that a manager that's under pressure starts to do, isn't it? And are you are you sensing the uh, from the press perspective that the momentum is building here, or 
it felt like it should. It, it's weird, isn't it? Because it felt like it should be. Yeah. Um, but, Any other club, it kind of felt like. Yeah. It have gone ages ago. Yeah, it really did, and it, it was so strange as well because like you're we're sat in these football grounds where Paul Lambert would have known exactly what the fans thought of him had there been crowds in there, but instead there's kind of this docile kind of just nothingness where. And I genuinely think this maybe affected his post-match comments at times, where a man he he kind of we 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 know that at times he would sort of talk about his players giving him everything and couldn't ask anything more and being happy with the performance. But if there'd been fans in there, he wouldn't have been able to say those things because he would have known full well what I was going to say twenty thousand. I doubt it would have been twenty thousand by this point. Would it have been down down to the eleven twelve mark? But um he would have known full well what people thought of this. And Marcus Evans would have known full well what, what people thought of this as well, because he Marcus was kind of known to put real, real stock in the mood of the, the paying customer, the crowd, rather than what he sees as just the, the social media noise, which is which is all, all Ipswich Town fans have had all season. But, but by this point, it just feels so surreal. We're looking at each other thinking this has to be the end game. But you, all the telltale signs were kind of missing. Like you can tell when a manager's right on the edge by by the crowd, and it's just not there. So it's really, really quite bizarre at, at this point. The the way that the whole thing is feeling. The jigsaw jigsaw starts to fit together though. So th- this is the week after you know the Oxford draw, where rumours of a takeover are starting to surface. Um, you know, we had Jim White on our on the pod he'd previously written an article in um in the telegraph but had been pretty open about um his understanding of takeover rumors i, I, I guess it, just quickly andy on that well um yeah i'll ask you about this now um you guys and twtd and, and even graham on on the radio the local media kind of skirted around this a little bit didn't they um is, is that can you explain that to us from from kind of an our perspective because obviously shows like blue monday and, and other podcasts out there we don't really have a, a kind of a local relationship with the club to kind of maintain um, and also standards or whatever to have to follow it in terms of confidentiality or anything like that. Um, so can you give us an insight as to the thinking about, you, you guys would have been aware of the rumours, why you maybe didn't go so hard so early in comparison to the Nationals like The Athletic and The Telegraph? I think I think being completely honest and completely open about it that we 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 didn't have anything to add to the uh we we didn't the thing is with takeovers and and with the greatest of respect to Stu and ourselves like the the with to Stu and myself like takeovers happen in a completely different kind of sphere of contacts to right. to to where we operate in if that makes sense I'm you know I'm, it it's difficult um I, d- I, I didn't want to kind of call you out or, or put no, you fine. on the spotlight because, because, because to be honest, because we'll be talking about this in a second. The, the talk out of the club was pretty consistent that there was nothing happening, and that's mm. what you, I guess you guys have. That's your feed, isn't it? Whereas yeah. the Athletic, the likes of Jim White, maybe Nick Ames, they so have like got... Matt Slater, for example. He's he's in the finance. Work. He's a business editor yeah. that's coming yeah. to sport, for example. So, so, you, so your point is the these are people that are not Ipswich people. They are footballing world people or financial people and mm. potentially the national media has a is going to know these kind of people because they're they get around a bit don't they and yeah right yeah so, Pot- so potentially that's the- yeah i think i think we just felt we just felt at the time that um 
I think the only the only real story we did is what after the Athletic did theirs. There was obviously a lot of talk about it. This, the character that was Brett Johnson had kind of emerged in the days before the Athletic, hadn't it? I think that the the, the 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 Twitter picture that we all now know and love of Brett Johnson was doing the rounds and and things like that. We're certainly not going to do stories based on kind of social media rumors sure. of, a, of a of a takeover. We we did a kind of. I'm going to call it a rip. When the Athletic did theirs, like clearly, we all know that the Athletic's an incre- incredibly well-sourced media organisation with some of the best contacts that you're going to find, particularly, particularly in that business world, also in the United States. Um, so, sure. so once they had done that, um, and full credit to Matt Slater for that, it was you know it's it's, it's really good journalism. What, that's at the point that where we started to to kind of take it seriously that's not that's not to say that we hadn't been working on it prior to that and that obviously we we see all the same social media rumors that everybody else does and we hear things too but on on a story that big um to kind of go into it without having it really firm ourselves just we just didn't feel that was a responsible thing to do um so that was that was probably our our approach to it yes we we spoke to the club a lot about it um because we, we speak to the club about a lot of things. We, we publish a lot of things without speaking to them as well, but consistently out of the club, we, we were being told that there's nothing on the table. That was Leo Neal's catchphrase, which yep. you know we we didn't necessarily believe um, in its entirety. Um, I think there was some, maybe some quite careful wording there. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting time. It's... Um, it's, it's the first time in my career as a journalist I've kind of covered a club with that level of takeover. There was a very messy one at, at Swindon when I was working there, but that was from people at a very different level of uh, of finance, if that makes sense. And it's so, still not uh, sorted out. Oh, the, uh, yeah. It's an, uh, <laughs> don't, don't get me. This is an absolute shambles of a club, Swindon Town. I don't. It, it just seems to attract attract controversy but that that's um that takeover that's going on there and the ownership mess at swindon is is kind of running over from a takeover back in 2013 which wasn't satisfactory so but yeah um i've, I've taken a long time to waffle about it but yeah we, we we were just um we were just very careful with with what we did we didn't want to be reporting anything that we couldn't stand up in 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 complete fact essentially yeah. thank you for answering that i i, I, I didn't really give you plenty of warning of I didn't give you any warning of that question so thank you for doing that I, I think That's it's right. just it's useful because I think the trouble we've got at the moment with social media or with message boards with podcasts is, is is ultimately people can react to stuff that's written and you know build a one-hour podcast on it potentially you know and we've on the Jim White stuff, we, we we did that. We analysed it and stuff like that. And, and we I broke think the exclusive, basically. We broke this. That's what I'm saying. And we broke. We broke <laughs> it. But I think you guys have a really tricky job. And, and as I say, you, your direct feed is is the club. And and I, I will come on to quotes that the club put out um, in, in a bit. And, and the, the messaging was really mixed there. And uh, yeah, it was just really in, interesting insight. So thank you for sharing that. Um, what happens to the rest of February is strange, guys. And I'll get both of your takes. I'll start with you, Joe, because you've been very patient. Um, we we start on this this winning run, um, including a, a totally out of the blue and uncharacteristic one 0 win at Hull. There's a feeling that Paul Lambert isn't pulling the strings on the sideline. Was was that your sense here? The Doncaster game as well, particularly you see a lot more of Matt Gill and um, even Jimmy Walker 
What was your take on this, Joe? It's, it's hard to know, but even from before the games, I was getting told that Matt Gill and Jimmy Walker are picking the team and running the side. And even when you looked at it, you make the substitutions are being made and Jimmy Walker, the goalkeeper coach, is standing there with the subs on the sideline, giving them their set piece instructions as they go on the pitch. And it's just that I know we're probably a coach short, so it's because Stuart Taylor was away, I think, because his um he had a family bereavement, he was up in Scotland. So I'm I'm sure there was an element of needing to muck in, but I just it seemed incredibly strange to see a goalkeeper coach taking such a prominent role on the on the footballing side of thing on the outfield side of things as well and he was playing a key role there and then this was at the time when Lambert was making the strange comments to the um, press about sort of going on talk sport and the lights yeah. talk, talking about a lack of structure and the club needs more structure and talking about Celtic and Borussia Dortmund as sort of I don't know was he, was he expecting us to have the sort of same structures then but he would never really when pressed on it he wouldn't he, he would then go sort of to the line of I'm only here to talk about the game but yeah it's like he wanted to try and get his message across but I don't know it, it was a very strange time he he didn't seem it seemed like he was asking to get sacked like he was <laughs> sort of the, whatever the opposite of constructive dismissal is a constructive resignation he was trying to do at that point it seemed Andy, any thoughts on? Uh, I mean, even the Oxford game, I seem to recall, prim- primarily seeing Gill and Walker on the touchline. Um, you, did you have a similar sense of that? Are you still? Yeah. You, pres- you did the post match with Lambert after Doncaster, presumably, where he was still quite spiky despite the victory. Um, yeah. But was that what you, was yeah. that your sense as well? Yeah, it was. Um, I, th- I do. I do think Matt Matt Gill and Jimmy Walker were doing the bulk of the preparation, picking the team. Um, as Joe said, they they were more visible. Um, and yeah, uh, Paul Lambert was was deferring at at that point. It wasn't he wasn't asked to take a back seat. It, it was him deferring. Um, I think it's I think it's fair to say that surprised Matt and and Jimmy Walker um, that they were asked to do that. And there were some noticeable differences in the team as well in mm. terms of playing a little bit more. Just to, to their to their strength, they were more direct, and um, I think I think at some point in those three games, I might be wrong, but I think that's in those three games that the more experienced centre back pairing of Enciala and Wilson came back in, um, which and an unchanged which, team, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they were. It was, um, and, and, and this was the point where we we knew that a change wasn't wasn't far away. It was just um, just a matter of of when at this point. And the, the annoying thing, and for both of, uh, for Blue Monday and for the EADT particularly, is it's a now, uh, Lambert and Taylor's dismissal or whatever it was, I'm trying to remember who it was, mutual consent, FC or um, parting of ways, it was announced at nine o'clock on a Sunday. What was the situation with the paper at that point? Uh, just about in, just about within deadlines. I started to hear about whispers of that kind of early evening. But again, it's Where was not the something... text? You could have. <laughs> no, <I'm joking. laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, next you know time. the Blue Monday records at seven thirty on a Sunday night. So okay, I'll bear that. Now <laughs> I know your recording time. I'll bear that in mind next time. But um, yeah, we just about got that one, that one done in just terms of the back page of the paper. Yeah, and very quickly, guys. I mean, give it a score out of ten, Paul Lambert. One. <laughs> no, I'd say three, genuinely. Because I thought, I think some of the recruitment was okay. I think the squad was left in a. I know people hate the squad at the moment. But I think the squad was left in a decent position with the some of the quality, and it was just in a 
in a over bloated and strange strange situation was left in but I, I thought he was a really really poor manager probably it's pro- similar to Paul Jewell when it's a very experienced manager coming in and still making rookie mistakes I, I think they're the worst ones for me rather than the sort of even looking at someone like Roy Keane I think so for me Paul Jewell and Paul Lambert two vastly experienced managers coming in and just getting so much wrong and continuing to and being given too long a leash because they obviously better at managing upwards than they were downwards and Andy, it's a real kind of you. You start with the high of the PR pool, and by the end of it, he's slagging everyone off in the press, isn't it? Presumably, not an enjoyable end working with him. No, not really. Um, I'd I'd have probably given him a a three or a four as well. Um, I honestly think he 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 came in with the the best of intentions. Um, but I think he just got so muddled in his thinking along along the way that 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 led to the decisions that Joe's just mentioned of strange decisions at strange times, each transfer window, whether this was down to the the structure of the club that he criticised so heavily or whether this was down to him himself, each transfer window was seemed to be in complete isolation from the next or the previous one. And it, every every window was just a patchwork job on a... And by the, if you keep patching up a tyre, it's like, it at some point it's just going to buckle, isn't it? And it's just a complete mess of a squad by the end. I think he came in with the best of intentions, but just got lost in himself along the way would be yep. my assessment of him. Yeah. He, he just seemed to lose his motivation. Like, that's what I, that's what I found is the main thing. And I, I sort of spoke to people inside and they were talking about when he first came in to replace Hurst, that he, that he was just brilliant. They loved him. Obviously he didn't get the results he wanted to do, but just the spirit, the management style, the players loved him. And then, I don't know where where it seemed to change, but it's it's almost around that time he got that five year contract at, on New Year's Day that it, it's almost like he and after and subsequently after COVID, it just seemed he checked out at that point after COVID. And there was a talk about the sort of no more Mister Nice Guy when he came back, but I don't think it was about no more Mister Nice Guy. It was just he just didn't seem to be engaged with the job at all from I don't know from about February of that. He got the new contract that seemed to give him a lift. We had a lift for a few games. We lost a couple of games, and then at that point, he just seemed to totally check out of the job. And it was just a case, and it just dragged it out. And we're now in a position where the number of fans have very little time for the players. But it seems that the players had the life sucked out of them as much as the fan base did over that time, because the leader of the club was not not leading it effectively. Mm. We go into yeah. March, and you know, to reiterate what we were talking about before, Andy, you know. Quotes from Leo Neal at the start of March. No offer on the table for town. Um, Marcus Evans will take as long as he's needed to make an appointment for his successor and Lambert's exit is not related to the proposed takeover. And within 24 hours, Paul Cook is appointed and Gary Roberts comes in as coach. Um, and we have the Accrington game um, where, again, the unchanged team where Lizzie McGill um, and Jimmy Walker are leading things and um, Paul Cook is coaching from the sidelines. Um, Joe... Your, I think, similar to me, you were kind of your preference was the Cowleys, um, and more on them in a second. But Paul Cook, pleased at the time, yeah. For me, for me, it was sort of a I think I preferred the Cowleys, but it was sort of like a 1A and 1B, and then a huge drop off below them to the sort of next level candidates. I thought both of those would be sort of incredible appointments for a League One side because they've just sort of almost careers without a blemish in them. I know the Cowleys were sat from Huddersfield, but I think that was incredibly harsh and I don't think they've moved forward as a club since then. But yeah, I thought, well, Paul Cook's done a brilliant job on across his last three jobs and 
when you sort of see him sitting out there, well, for me, the whole season, you're sort of seeing Danny Cowley and Paul Cook sitting out there and you're just thinking, why are we persisting with Paul Lambert here? Because you've got two excellent candidates out there, which I've sort of been told both of them wanted the job and all you needed to do was just approach them and get them in and they'd have been here, here in a heartbeat, as it turned out Paul Cook was. And Andy, uh, your first impressions of Paul Cook were presumably positive? Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms in terms of Paul Cook, uh, the same the same con- conversation. I think it was in March of 2019, which which ultimately resulted in uh, in um, us reporting that Ipswich were going to sign James Norwood a few months later. Um, we reported that in that in that March. That same conversation with a with a contact I had then. I was told that the next manager of of Ipswich Town would be Paul Cook. Um, so he's kind of someone that I've been keeping an eye on um for two years until until this ultimately happened and it genuinely was a Marcus Evans appointment um I know we've obviously had a takeover since then and and things but it was genuinely a Marcus Evans man there's a relationship there that goes back years and um yeah first impressions were great same as Joe you see you see Paul Cook and Danny Cowley quite often on the same TV sofa together all season long one of those two should have been in that job earlier. Um, but to, that night at Accrington is probably the highlight of, of 2021 for me in, in that the, uh, it's just a shame fans weren't there because the sense of optimism sort of in, it, it's remarkable that an empty football stadium can hold such a sense of optimism because it, it really was. There was a real air of kind of something something good was, was on its way. Paul Cook was sat probably... Five five meters away from us, trying his absolute hardest not to get involved in the game <laughs> at all. Um, that lasted twenty minutes, um, and then he had a he had a sort of a running battle with with one of the Accrington players, start chucking sea bombs sea bombs around all over the place, having a wow. running battle with the Accrington left back. I think it was calling him a, calling him a diving sea bomb, and um, <laughs> and that was Paul Cook often often running straight in there. Um, I mean. From this point onwards, I'm not really sure talking about the match action is particularly insightful. Um, you know, there's certainly there's the, the first proper game under the Paul Cook era we've kind of mentioned is, is a defeat at Gillingham and a pretty, you know, Flat. pretty poor performance, wasn't it? And, you know, the quotes are starting to come out at this point as well. You know, we don't score enough goals. We don't create enough chances. You know, decent enough point in, in the grand scheme of things at, against Lincoln and a win against Plymouth. Um, but then the Fleetwood defeat is is really poor, isn't it? And you know, Cook is now talking about to play for this club, you have to carry a little bit more weight on your shoulders. And then the aforementioned Cowdy Brothers, a game of two halves at Portsmouth, Cook comes out of that and says, "At the minute, you watch us nervously, waiting for something wrong to happen." And we have the week of training, which lots of stuff comes out about how successful or not that was. And then a nil-nil draw away at Wigan, and and. On the on the pitch, guys, Joe, it's it doesn't really. The new manager bounce doesn't happen, does it? In short, no, no. We seem to have an old manager bounce before Cook came in <laughs> with with the guys there. But um, no, I, I was I was sort of incredibly frustrated by what I was seeing because it it almost sort of over the course of the rest of the season we seem to put in probably sort of five or six of our worst performances of the season were under Paul Cook, where I think we all expected quite a bit more from it, and I think the Portsmouth game was the was the season in a nutshell there because we played really well that first half or sorry, the first 40 minutes and we could have been sort of two, three up at that point. And then as soon as it's like, we build momentum very, very slowly. And then as soon as we lose it, it is, it is gone. And then the game just gets on top of us there. And it's just, 
you just knew we were going to lose as soon as we conceded. And it's just like I say, you just let a poor goal from a nothing corner. And then all of a sudden the game, the game is dead where had, had we managed to get that win at Portsmouth, I think we'd have had a very different end to the season. and We'd be in a very different position now, but there obviously wasn't, like I say, I know could criticize the fitness of the players, but ultimately they were conditioned to play a style of football that was so passive and so slow that, at that, at that point of the season, you, you couldn't get more miles into the legs of those guys there. We were playing sort of twice a week for sort of eight weeks out of nine at one point. And it's just a case that that the players just could not could not pick up to what he wanted them to do. And I don't think it was through any fault of the players on the conditioning side, but it just seemed that he's become incredibly frustrated with it. And it I don't think he's done us any favours in the long run. No, I need, do you agree with that? Do you agree that... Um, Paul Cook possibly tried to instill too much of his own philosophy at the expense of maybe being a little bit more pragmatic and continuing some of the stuff that Matt Gill and Jimmy Jimmy Walker had established in the preceding matches. Yeah, possibly. I, I think if you if you spoke to Paul Cook candidly, he'd probably probably concede that maybe some decisions that were made at this point weren't weren't the correct ones. I think a few players looked a little confused by what they were being asked to do Te- after that Portsmouth game. I interviewed Teddy Bishop, and he. He seemed absolutely crestfallen. Um, in he kind of was just so confused in what in what he was being asked to do as a as a football player um, that the, the the confidence had just drained out of him. He he's normally normally a good guy to talk to. He just looked absolutely beaten. And um, that after that game is kind of when I realised that this probably probably isn't going to happen for, for Ipswich this season. I, I, I think Joe's probably right. You, you've tried to do, maybe do too much too too quickly and, and change course too quickly. I'm, I'm sure he would argue that that was needed and he, he might be right. It, it maybe was needed, but with with the group as it was, um, it probably by this point wasn't wasn't possible. I mean, it feels like he, he figured out a lot of our deficiencies pretty early on the mental fragility is a factor there. You know, there's a, there's a lot of players there still from the relegation era, but as we've talked about on Blue Monday, it's a squad, it's a hodgepodge squad, squad, mm. squad. Mm-hmm. It's got some Mick in it, some Hurst in it, some Lambert. Yeah. Um, and it's just not cohesive. And that's a factor here as well. And, you know, we don't, it feels like this rebuild is long overdue, isn't it? Well, Cook's a man of principles, isn't he? He plays how he wants to play. He he has his way of playing and he sticks to it. And I, I think that served him well in the past. Um, and I think it was probably inevitable that that's what he was going to going to try and do. Um, but you're right; it is a hodgepodge squad um, with with no real kind of underlying ongoing structure to it. And uh, yeah, it probably is long overdue. Whether it's long overdue to quite the extent that he maybe wants to do it is is a big yeah. debate. But um, but in terms of in terms of a, giving it a new purpose and a new direction, I, th- I think it I think it is overdue. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with McDelivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, going into April is when, is when decisions start. Well, patience seems to get exhausted pretty quickly and decisions start being made. Um, there is the, there is a 2-1 two, two win over Bristol Rovers. Admittedly, Bristol Rovers destined for League 2. Um, which was worse for you, Joe? The Northampton 0-0 or the Rochdale away 0-0? <laughs> sort, of, sort of asking which foot do you want to step in dog shit do you in, be shot or doesn't, doesn't really matter um <laughs> that was a poor one wasn't it i think i am i right in thinking there was no shots on target I from either team from yeah i think the rochdale one there was i got the, i looked at the xg of it and i think the total xg across both teams was like 0.23 goals which i think is probably one of the worst games in the history of football for with regards <laughs> to chances created but yeah they were both because it, it still felt like every everyone around us was dropping points. It's just like, if you can win one of these games, you're right back in the mix. But it's a bit like, do you even want to get back in the mix? Because you're just going to embarrass yourself later in the season. But just just really, really poor and really dull. And these were the games, by the end of the season, I, I didn't even watch every game there. But Wednesday, 7th of April, Andy, when did you get... When did you hear about the announcement of a takeover? Was that before eleven fifteen, whenever it was, or did about, you hear when the when the when the website published it? Um, about an hour before we started it. Well, had some interesting conversations earlier that morning, um, but in terms of actually knowing that it was going to happen, it, we're, we're talking an hour before. But on, we're honestly reliably reliably informed that Marcus only made that decision on the drive back from Rochdale. So that, that, um, so that miserable, uh, so that miserable kind of nil, nil draw um, with neither team having a shot on target, which incidentally quite in one of the most awkward press boxes I've ever been in. Marcus Evans was sat there behind me, like over my right shoulder, um, which was really quite awkward. But um, that was the day that I think he finally decided that it was it was good to go. Clearly, it had been going on for a while, but um, yeah, on that was it. The Wednesday was that when it was? Exactly, yeah, yeah, about yeah. about an hour. I think Lots if anything sums morning. up the Marcus Evans era at Ipswich Town, it's still having a big takeover agreed, forty million pound sale, debt being written off, and deciding on a whim whether to do it or not on the back of a nil-nil draw at Rochdale. <laughs> that shows the level of planning and overarching strategy shown at the club, I think, over his tenure. 
do you do you, both of you I'll, I'll come to both of you i'll start with you joe um buy into the the kind of rumor not rumor the kind of the theory that evans was waiting to see whether we'd make the playoffs or not to decide to sell um do you do you buy into that and therefore the rochdale game kind of is a nail in the coffin for a playoff place isn't I, it I, I just think he's a reluctant seller i don't think he wants to sell but i just think he knew he couldn't take the club on any further and he was just like your man on the poker table just just with enough money to cover the blinds who's just standing there just desperately hoping that something he does is going to get, get it right obviously he had yeah. the money to do more than that but he's just desperately hoping that he stumbles across something because he's well he's, he's never had the right idea on how to run the club properly has he with sadly like you look at the owners that have come in and with the appointment of mark ashton and the people around him it's like they've shown more aptitude to getting the right people in to run the football club from day one than Mark Evans has shown in 13 years. Yeah, Andy, do you subscribe to that theory or was there more strategy um, involved than that? Uh, I think there's probably an element of that, that cl- clearly clearly, if, if they could have fluked their way to the championship, um, he, do- he doesn't want to be seeing somebody else at Wembley kind of celebrating a playoff victory and no he doesn't want he doesn't want to sell what he really wanted was was investment in in terms of the yeah. potentially the americans in, investing in the club um but him still having much more control than he did but i think that became apparent to him quite some time prior that actually that that's not really what what they were in for and i think the american the americans probably realized that that the door was open for for a bit more um he was a really reluctant seller because he liked owning a football club. Um, his family liked him owning a football club, but um, I think Joe's probably, I think, yeah, that there comes a point where you have to realize that actually I, if I don't sell this football club now, um, what am I going to be keeping it forever? I can't take it any further than this. And actually, um, actually that's the right, it's the right thing to do. And not I, think a big, a, I think it's a bit concerning where you, you say that he wants he wanted investment in the club and wanted to keep control, where the reality is he's one of the richest men in the country. He can do the investment, but he can't do the control because as he's as he's shown over time. So the thing that he wants to keep control of is the thing that he's effectively shown he can't do. Where the mm. thing that he wants to give up is the thing that he can do. But well he's he's now he's part of the the kind of game changer limited ownership structure, isn't he? So he's still got some skin in the game. To buy the yeah, he actually owns more of the club than any of the three lions do individually. He owns as much as they do combined, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. I, I don't think there's an individual that owns more, depending on how you see ORG and the uh, the investment company and their pension fund and everything. That there isn't an individual that owns more of the club than the Marcus Evans, but he has zero kind of real say. So it's um, I think that's uh, that's a way of a way of kind of preserving some value say say Ipswich Towner in the Premier League in three years that that's his way of um like you say having some skin in that in that game almost like a sell-on clause I don't think it's the worst thing in the world having a what is effectively a fan who is a billionaire still having a stake in the club either that if something does go wrong with the Americans you do at least have someone there who can write the checks to get you out of trouble and he he might be in pole position if there's a point where ORG want to sell if if the club gets to the Premier League if if he can afford us at that point you know um, mm. so yeah so it's an interesting one to see how that plays out but you know clearly oh. massive news gone Andy sorry 
I'm sorry, I've, it's, it's, uh, there are a number of people who, who have mentioned to me that it's not impossible that he gets back into football elsewhere oh, okay. at, at, at some other point. Um, so yeah, may, maybe. I'd, I'd be surprised, but it's um, it has been suggested. I've been watching the second series of um, Sunderland Till I Die and feeling a lot of analogies with um, Stuart Donald and, and Marcus Evans. Less like the, I want to spend three million pound on Will Grigg bit but more that getting the funding in the investment in without wanting to relinquish control feeling the burden of obligation to the supporters but also super conscious of the criticism as well um if you've not watched it it's really interesting what the, the parallel the parallels with with us and some of them are so stark in lots of different ways but that ownership dynamic is an interesting one but as i said april is you know, it, the big thing is the takeover, and I mean, in the in the, I think you might have said this, Andy. I might have been listening to your show. In the in the scheme, grand scheme of Ipswich Town history, this is a pretty massive, significant event, isn't it, guys? And um, you know, the optimism of the, amongst the fan base is as high as it's been in, you know, potentially two decades. And what we really need to hope for is is this optimism builds to something positive on the pitch next season, don't we? The moves off and on the pitch throughout April, um, move us more towards this kind of rebuild that we've talked about. I can't even remember the nil-nil against MK Dons, and I, I think I watched it. Um, there's there's um, a, a Cook quote, the AFC Wimbledon match will define our season, and we get spanked 3-0. That was not an enjoyable evening and confirmed that our season was as good as over. Mark Ashton is confirmed as the CEO, as Joe mentioned. And then Jimmy Walker departs. Judge um, is not having his contract extended and he won't play again because that would trigger an extension. And Cook even himself admits that he's now into demolition man mode. A positive nil-nil at Charlton, a better performance. Um, I, I track this in here because... Charlton a place in the playoffs that game. Yeah, there you go. Um Luke Wolfen, there's a couple of quotes for you. Luke Wolfen, I think I've had a completely average season, Joe. Um, your thoughts on Luke Wolfen, who obviously off the back of a four-year contract um, last summer. I think it was last summer or the summer before. Um, not a great season for him, but not a great season for anyone, frankly. Yeah, I, th- I think Luke, so I don't think he was brilliantly treated this season. If you, if you think the, the year before, he sort of played alongside Luke Chambers at the back there. And I, I did think his form tailed off sort of in that sort of February, March time before the COVID break. But I thought he'd been really, really good before that, playing alongside Chambers. He then sort of in the new season, he he looks like he gets... Because it's the first game's on Sky against Wigan and he, and he and he gets injured in that game, but he stays on till the end. And then two days later, he's playing in that Papa John's Trophy game, isn't he? And at that point, he does actually get injured. And then from that point on, we only ever really see him alongside Mark McGuinness. And I think... For a character like Luke Wolfenden, who is not your shouter, he is your laid back, sort of, sort of any further laid back, he'd be sort of on the floor almost. And he he struggled being the senior partner alongside a very, very raw Mark McGuinness, who was making a who was making a lot of mistakes in reality and sort of it it, it just seemed uh we've sort of set him up in a position to fail this season. He and he had a and he had a bad season and that could end up being the end of his Ipswich career, which I think would be a massive shame where like I say, I know the Sonny Bradley deal isn't going to happen now, but you, you sort of Sonny Bradley and Luke Wolfenden as a pairing at this level, big, strong left footer alongside Luke, who can is good in the air, is quick, can carry the ball, can pass the ball. I, I think 
I'd be I'd be really sad to see him go without being given a chance alongside a, another senior player there because I think it was just asking too much of him to be the senior partner alongside a, a real rookie in Mark McGuinness this season. Yeah. Um, which yeah. was worse, Wimbledon 3-0 defeat or Northampton 3-0 defeat? Oh, uh. <laughs> I just keep asking uh, these questions now. I think they all could emerge into one at this point, don't they? North- Wimbledon were on a decent run of form, weren't they? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, Northampton. Northampton. At this point, Liam Richardson is, is appointed uh, full-time as manager at Wigan and that kind of rules him out as um, Paul Cook's number two at Ipswich. Any doubts around Paul Cook and without Liam Richardson, kind of the Paul Lambert in Culverhouse kind of dynamic? Any any fears about that, Andy? I th- I think that the experience of, of Lambert and, and Culverhouse has maybe overplayed in, in people's minds what... Um, what Liam Richardson might have been to Paul Cook, um, from from the way I understand it, Liam Liam is kind of a a sounding board and a calming head. Whereas Culverhouse, we we talk about Culverhouse kind of being the 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 man who made the man who made it happen. Um, so I don't think Paul Paul Cook isn't kind of missing his football philosophy. I think he's missing a trusted advisor and a trusted friend, and it's it's absolutely a blow that he he's not coming. But I don't think I don't think it's quite the same as kind of the Lambert Culverhouse dy- dynamic. Um, okay. You can relax. Uh, yeah, I think I think so. Um, yeah. Look, nobody. We can never really get into these can we because how many times did this get discussed about managers being nothing without their assistant it's like the only evidence for it really is kind of what what happens on the pitch so i'm 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 not too concerned about it i, I do not know who he's going to get in as his assistant um do you think he I, will get one well i don't know where one's going to emerge from um or fit yeah it's um G- gary roberts is clearly clearly came as kind of a as a sounding board, as a, as a mate, and someone who he sees as, as getting into coaching, Jeffers is interesting in itself. Um, we'll see. Maybe someone, maybe someone emerges. But when you've had an assistant manager like Liam Richardson for so many years, there's not going to be just another assistant waiting to kind of suddenly be that man. But he, Paul Cook's a man who knows what he wants. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure he'll necessarily. Maybe someone has to emerge organically from the Jeffers Roberts axis to kind of become that man. I'm yeah. conscious that I might spoil the office here for Joe, the American office, but he needs to have his outward outdoors adventure. You know, auditioned for his. That was for Michael Scott's replacement, but this is for um to be the number two, the region, the assistant to the region manager. Walk, walk over hot coals or get in the sumo suits and have a wrestle. Um, have you got that far yet, Joey? No, I haven't. So thanks yeah, for that. Again. Spoiler. Um, that's <laughs> it, about three. To me, to me it just to, yeah. To me, it just seems a, a concern that it's interesting when you listen to Mick Mills talking on sort of Radio Suffolk post game. I'm sure Andy doesn't hear these because he's working, but. He's talking about needing an, an assistant manager, a person who you know is a good coach that can set up your training session, that the manager can just say, oh, I want to do a bit on shape today. And he can, the assistant's there, going to get the whole thing going, get the players engaged, get them training, and he can just walk along and make his tweaks and not have to be there, everyone. And, and I, I do worry that we haven't got a coach with experience of training senior players and Whenever you listen to sort of podcasts like Under the Cosh or ones like that, and they talk and they talk about managers and assistants and coaches, they they always tell you that 
if the coaches aren't on it, they know within about 30 seconds and they've lost respect at that point. And so Gary Roberts, these aren't coaches that are used to putting on sessions. And I don't know if either of you guys have done it, but even if you're sort of helping out your mate, coach a kid's team, if you you can't engage people, if you're sitting there putting cones down and things, you need to get these short, sharp sessions going on. And that's especially true with the with first-team footballers who are used to it. And like I said, that's what Matt Gill could do. And I'm assuming that's what Liam Richardson was doing for Paul Cook. And sort of how, how is that side of it going to work? That, that's that's the worry for me. Mm. Paul mm. Cook can't do everything. And he's the only one who's yeah. experienced enough to do so at the moment. I think Matt Gill's a real shame. Obviously, he en- he ends up moving on just before the, the final game of the season, I think it was. But um, he's a coach that the players respect and the players, the players liked. He's a good guy. I struggle to see that anybody could kind of not get on with him and he's a good coach um i think if if a new assistant doesn't arrive um i think that could be seen as a real shame that he wasn't wasn't kept around um but managers want managers want their own people and i suppose if you're having a clear out that can extend to the backroom staff can't it but um we'll see hopefully matt gets fixed up soon because he's a, he's a good guy and a good coach but i, I I do worry that that might be seen as a bit of a mistake, just kind of throwing someone of good experience on the in the bin. And and Joe will no doubt say similar when we start talking about players being released in a, in a few minutes' time. Um, I mean, the, the month of April concludes with the first half, possibly the worst performance from one of my teams in my whole managerial career. I didn't even think it was that bad that game. Yeah, I was going to say which is worse, the nil-nil at Northampton, the nil-nil at Rochdale, or the nil-nil against Wormwood, and I can't even remember them now. Um, there was some doubt about Paul Cook's future. There was a lot of really strong r- Twitter rumours that Paul Cook wasn't happy with the Mark Ashton and the takeover situation. He has to come out and reiterate that he's part of the future, um, which I guess uh, is reassuring. Um, and then we have um, probably the highlight of the season on the field, um, is the under-18s defeating Sheffield United in extra time in a really entertaining FA Youth Cup match. And their their reward is a tie against Liverpool. We spoke about that one, Joe, but a really a good year for Adam, Adam Ete. Yeah, no, really good. And sort of, I'd say it's just a shame that we're still at Category 2 as an academy when you see yesterday Birmingham and Nottingham Forest move up to Category 1. And it's just that games programme we're in at the moment, it's just getting weaker and weaker. I think over the last three years you've lost Leeds, Crystal Palace, Burnley, uh, Birmingham, Sheffield United, it's uh, sorry, um and Nottingham Forest today. It's just you do you do think hopefully that the new owners realise that that's somewhere somewhere where we need to we need to get up to what we are just going to get left behind there. And when you see the crop of players that we've got, it would be a real shame to leave them behind. And sort of everything I hear coming out of the club is that the under sixteens, as in the first year scholars going up into it this year are a crop that sort of one of the best that the club have had since I don't well the, the the one I hear compared to is the sort of what is effectively been sort of Flynn Downs, Andre Dazelle, Ben Morris, Luke Wolfenden, Tristan Nydon that year. It's all Jack Lancaster and that lot. So effectively every player that's come through the academy effectively has come through in that one year and now that's what people see that first year coming as. Yep. Well Maybe Marcus Evans will do that bit of influence because he was always positive on the on the academy, wasn't he? Um, albeit he couldn't really get us to category one. In, into May, um, there's a victory away at Swindon, um, which had been a long time coming. A goal, two goals, 
like buses. And then we start getting some jiggery poker in terms of appointments with Andy Rolls confirmed as director of performance. Um, you sound like, like made up names, David. Um, Shrewsbury, there's a, there's a nil nil and a dislocated shoulder and a bad miss for Vincent Young and Dyer on the press. And he's quite blunt and uh, comes across really well, actually. Did you speak to Dyer after Shrewsbury, Andy? Uh, yeah. Um, he came across really well. He did. Yeah. He, um, he knew what he wanted to say, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Um, and everybody there that night were kind of in, from a Shrewsbury perspective would, were, were falling over themselves at seeing Kieran Dyer, um, ex England international world cup player, but were just so surprised to hear him speak like that. Cause he just doesn't, people still think of Kieran Dyer as being the guy that had a fight with Lee Bowyer. Um, his own teammate and he's so much more than that like he he's a, he's a complex character he's an interesting guy but he he's really quite quite thoughtful with his football he he knows football and he's by all accounts the young really good coach the young players all, all have really enjoyed there he is let have you got one of those for everyone Little not man. quite everyone <laughs> not quite everyone <laughs> um but um yeah no it's um it does sound like he's going to slide back into a 23s management role with maybe a few beefed up um, responsibilities in there. Um, a bit make, taking him a bit closer to the first team than, than a 23s manager really would be, um, which is maybe a little bit of a shame because he's clearly got something to offer at first team level. But yeah, he spoke he spoke brilliantly and he he, just, he speaks as an Ipswich fan. He's he's as big an Ipswich Town fan as you will find this side of Joe Fairs. He's um, he's a massive Ipswich fan. Um, Stephen Ward. Um... That, and the Shrewsbury game is, I can't even remember if he played that, but he certainly won't be playing against Stephen Ward. That his exit was announced. Um, Joe Fares um, started to rub his hands with glee with the idea of Ed Sheeran's name, or at least the tour, being on Ipswich Town shirts next season. Um, I think the home show will be blue and white, I think. I'm not sure about the away one yet. Hopefully, white. we'll see those quite soon. White. There's, well, that's why he's got it on. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's amazing news, guys, right? And big kind of international recognition and huge potential for the club sort of every, every language in the world there was a story about it and sort of like i said on the pod at the time i got into the car and they were talking about ed sheeran Ipswich town i assumed i was listening to radio suffolk and i looked and it was radio 2 that was on and it was just just massive news and i think this shirt will sell brilliantly because because of it all the like i say you just see the amount of engagement it gets on social media and sort of the fans of music of not fans of music but people like Ed Sheeran have like cult followings where there's the Ed Sheeran, there's about 400 Ed Sheeran fan pages where they just tweet any bit of news about him on social media. And I can guarantee if he tweets a link to the club shop to sell his shirt, they'll sell five times more than what they think they will. Framlingham town. When he wore that on the last night of his tour, he, um, in, in Ipswich, he wore a Framlingham town shirt on stage for the last night of it. And they sold hundreds and hundreds of shirts around the world at that point. We're going to need to pre-order, aren't we, Joe? This is... Yeah, I, norm <laughs> I normally wait to pick them up cheap. But I won't be able to this year. Yeah. Um, we've we talked about Matt Gill's departure, and we, we wish him well. Um, James Wilson wins Player of the Year with Thomas Holy in second. Um, James Wilson, who, who will be released a, a week later. And, um, you know, we bow out with um, a good victory at home to Fleetwood and the final minutes in the Ipswich Town shirt for... Luke Chambers and Cole Scoose. You know, we've, I think both Joe and I are pretty open with our admiration of the contribution those guys have made. Um, your impression, your kind of 
dealings with Amanda over the last few years? How have you found them as people and as as footballers? I don't think you can knock what they've given to the football club as people. Um, you certainly can't. And, and I also think they're kind of unfairly cast as kind of being top of the bill in the, I think in, in a piece that Stu, Stu wrote, he desc- described it as being sort of a tiresome blame game. Um, and they just through being present for so long are kind of the first names that you come to when you talk about the blame game for how Ipswich Town are uh, mid-table league one side now. I think that's hugely overplayed. Um, I think... Cole, Cole Skew said it best himself in, in his kind of farewell interview. If you if you look at what my teammates think of me and what my managers have thought of me, um, that could tell you a story. And they've, they've all picked them. Obviously, Cole's been injured significantly in the final season, but they've been, Luke, Luke's been first name on the first choice, really, for for most, for almost all of his Ipswich career. Um I don't think you can really knock what they've what they've given in terms of longevity. Um, it's just a shame that they have a been part of some some bad Ipswich teams that have been sliding backwards, and b ultimately leave kind of through the back door um, in an empty football stadium. Um, by all accounts, like Luke was the Luke was the first to have left the dressing room after that Fleetwood game. He's gone in his car. Um, Whereas really he should have been applauded off that day and had his family there to watch and, and things like that because he's given so much of his life to the club. Um, yeah, they'll be the first to accept that they will be critiqued as football players. I think they're happy with that. It's part of the job. But um, in terms of what they gave off the pitch, I think they've been really, really good servants to the football club who will be who'll be missed in many ways. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Carl Goose yesterday when we um on the day we record this um has signed a two-year deal for for Cole you with certainly with sounds like of you Tim being a coach there at some point and um Lou Chambers linked with Gillingham amongst others and you never know he might end up at Cole you with um, his mate Cole Skuse as well but you know coincidence Joe that you know a few days are a week or two after Chambers um Chambers departure is announced the club do an advert on the website looking for families to provide a home to academy youngsters you know that we'd, we'd spoken about that in the past but that's the kind of stuff that people aren't, don't even consider when they, you know, they think of Lou Chambers was I think, how many people did he have was it seven academy players at one point in I his, think six I normally have five or six yeah in his little it is yeah on Chambers Manor whatever it was but you know he he, he took his responsibilities as a captain on and off the pitch you know he, he wasn't he wasn't a shouter on the pitch but he, he was a lead by example. He was representing the values of the club really well and and took those duties really seriously, didn't he? Yeah, and I think you'll find I think you'll struggle to find anyone inside the club who has ever played with him. That's a bad word to say about him as a and, and and I think so much gets lost in the fact that they they've been good players the whole time as well, that they've been in the team on merit. I think even this season when you look at things if you were naming the top four or five players, it's still, it's still Luke Chambers in there playing out of position at right back when he's 35 years old being told to bomb up and down. And he's still been one of our better players this season. I think they've just been... Obviously, Skews hasn't played as much recently, but they've, they've just been let down effectively by the recruitment around them and the sort of the weakening of the squad and of the team. And they seem to bear the, bear the brunt for that. But I say they're players that we miss and it's just, it's a shame that we just haven't got any good senior players in that 30, 31, 32 range, which is which is what has let us down, I think, over the last two or three years. 
let's wrap wrap the season up. Obviously, some you know we, players released and um, you know comments in the press. You know, you guys, you're exclusive about players being told they can move on. It's going to be a real summer of change, isn't it? Even you know um, the likes of Gerard Nash, Dave Bowman yesterday leaving, Andy Costin coming in as head of sports science, John Ashton as a fitness coach for the first team. We've got France, um, Francis Jeffers and Ian Craney coming in. You're going to have to do a lot of introductions first huh. proper day of press, aren't you, Andy? Yeah, it's 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 a different, it's a culture reset, isn't it? It's a change. It's um, yeah, it's 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 going to be strange. I th- like there'll be people that turn up to Portman Road, hopefully turning up to Portman Road in August. To they could even name an eleven of of players that that nobody has seen play for it, for Ipswich Town before. People like Stephen Ward have been and gone. Without anybody actually setting eyes on him, um, you know, same, same, yeah, same could be true as of, of David Cornell. But yeah, there's there's going to be um, there's going to be so much change. Um, I, I, our story obviously said that the vast majority of those players have been told they can move on. I don't think they all will move on um, because I'm not sure it's it's possible to do that. And there are some that will kind of emerge from the wreckage as well, who who maybe have been told that they've got. A role to play, but not a but not a leading role um, that will still will still be around. But um, they're looking for players in every single position on the pitch. So it, it, who knows? Who knows what eleven's going to take to the field in in July and August? And Joe, you're we've, we've spoken about this on 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 our other shows. It's it's a, it is a risky strategy, isn't it? But is, is part of you think that? As I said before, this is kind of needed. Maybe a bit of a hard reset. A good opportunity with lots of players out of contract, maybe. But you know, there's a lot of burden on Paul Cook's shoulders now, isn't there? Yeah, I think the problem there was always going to be a hard reset at the end of this season. I, I, it it was inevitable with the amount of players that were out of contract and a new manager coming, in, new owners, that it, it couldn't be avoided. This hard reset, but it does feel that for me, Cook has just gone a bit too far here. And the the thing I the thing I worry about is. If it goes wrong, nine months down the line, and Cook is, if it does go wrong, Cook is out of the job in February. As a club, we suffer from this sort of this strategy which he's he's putting in place of just bomb everyone out and bring everyone new in. It, it does it does feel like we there should be somebody overseeing this with a sort of sharper eye on the detail of what we're actually doing because if we if we end up offering ten of Paul Cook's players three year contracts like. Sonny Bradley was one of them who sounded like he had a long off on the table. If you're Lee Evans from Wigan, people like that, if if you end up offering a Paul Cook team three-year contracts, get rid of everyone we've got and we end up where he's, he's struggling. What what happens then? We end up, we then put ourselves in a really, really difficult position as a club and Paul Cook will walk away from the mess that he's created being paid sort of very handsomely to do so and go on and just say, wasn't my fault. New owners came in. I couldn't. I couldn't do anything with it. And we've been crying out for a structure, and it feels like a structure's been put in place. But it, on the flip side, it feels that there's still a manager with too much say and sway over what's going on in the first team for me. Uh, probably Andy telling that Mark Ashton comes in at the time of recording um, next week. I think it is, and no signings have been made yet. So maybe that is a little bit reassuring that no. Signatures have been put to paper yet without his sign-off. Potentially, um, 
I, I think it's it's also notable that the, the the window itself doesn't open till the 9th of June. So in in terms of maybe players being bought for fees, they wouldn't necessarily be announced in in advance of that. Um, clearly, Mark Ashton is going to have been overseeing some of this. Yes, he's officially still at Bristol Bristol City for the, the remainder of this month. But I, um, you know, pretty clearly, pretty clearly, he's going to have been doing some work on Ipswich Town in that in that time. But the, the thing that really intrigues me here is the kind of the Paul Paul Cook Mark Ashton axis here. Whereas I think Paul Cook has obviously come into to Ipswich under Marcus Evans, where the manager is the manager is king. Um, but there's almost two kings now. Um, it's, it, it fascinates me to see how that would work because they Mark Ashton has been said to have kind of such a big role in recruitment at Bristol City, whereas everything we were hearing about recruitment here is that Paul Cook was very very hands on with that. He there was talk of even his own kind of recruitment people coming and being involved in the club, which, which um, they're kind of at odds with each other. Those two, those two approaches. So it'll be very interesting to see how they dovetail and work and work together. And, and that, that's going to be the key. I think how, how they do work together will be the key over whether this, whether this works or not. Kind of three questions to sum up. Um, we've talked about prior of the year um, being James Wilson um Joe, Andy, any alternatives for you? I think Joey probably asked you and you said Andre Dezel, didn't you? Yeah, I've, I've heard for Andre Dezel, but I think it could have been probably Andre Dezel or I thought Teddy Bishop had a good season coming back from injury. I thought he, I thought he did well through, through the sort of big chunk of it until the sort of very end of it. For me, James Wilson played well when he played, but didn't play enough for me to be a contender for the award. Again, like I say, Luke James had a decent season at the back. Thomas Holy kept a lot of clean sheets without really ever convincing. If James Norwood was fit for five, ten more games, he'd have probably scored fifteen goals this season, and that would have been enough for us to get in the playoffs. It's, but no, it, it's one where whoever wins, it doesn't really matter in a season <laughs> like that, does it? Because and you, who did your secret vote go to? Um, I didn't cast a vote, but I did write. I did write on our website who I th- thought it should be. So I should probably go with that. Um, I gave it to Toto Enciala purely, oh. purely on a um, purely really on a, on a kind of a basis of, of achievement versus ex- expectation. Because when he got shipped off to Bolton back in January of of last year, he, he was done, wasn't he? He looked for all the world that he was completely done at Ipswich. I, I enjoyed watching the, the partnership of Enciala and Wilson play. Um, I think they complemented each other quite well. They The team did well when they played. It's a very basic, rudimentary way of looking at it, but if you kind of extrapolate the points that Ipswich won with those two at the heart of defence over a 46-game season, they'd have finished third. Um, but I think that's that's even more basic than using points per game um, to decide things. But um, it does it does illustrate a little bit of a point. Um, so yeah, I... I I'd have given it to Toto, I think, because I, I just enjoyed watching him improve uh, over the season. What a rise from the bottom of the Andy Warren power rankings to <laughs> player of the season. Oh, the power up there dead, mate. The power, the power <laughs> rankings far too time consuming and, uh, and nobody read, nobody read them. So uh, they're consigned to the bin. Oh, Joe seemingly did. So there you go. And, and we, we, as a blue Monday team, um, we, we did player ratings in November and, um, player ratings in May and Toto's Toto's stats increased by 0.33 
um, from six um, in November. So an improvement there. Uh, our high-scoring defender was was James Wilson across the board, um, somewhere between six and eight, seven. <laughs> That's how maths works, isn't it? Um, but otherwise, it's five point six sevens and five point seventeens and five point sixes and four point six seven. Not a great. I mean, not a, not a, not a vintage year for player of the year. The keepers, no. holy, holy. How many clean sheets did Holy have? Was it sixteen clean sheets in the league? I think it was. Um, and he's, we st- he's, he's got a record of almost like one in two clean sheets since he signed for us. So, despite your campaign to campaign him as number one, your campaign of hate, Rich, he has been a. He's kept the ball out of his net more often than he's let it in. Sixteen league us. one clean sheets, yeah, and in what thirty six games. In the, um, so, and, and we only scored him a six, and including myself, um, Di Cornell got a five point six seven. Um, and even the, oh, the midfielders. I mean, I was going to chuck in this stat. You know, our, our top assist maker was Guion Edwards with four. Um, and in the league, you know, Norwood got more than Alan Judge um, and Teddy Bishop and Stephen Ward and Luke Chambers. Um, not a vintage year for assists, blimey. So our midfield scores, Andy, for your um, reference, the highest scoring midfielder Um Gwyn Edwards and Andre Dizel both got 6.67, six and a half for Teddy Bishop. But otherwise, it's around the fives. And there's a, oh, Josh Harrop. Oh, point, dear. 3.67, Josh Harrop. Oh, that, that shot at Swindon. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's my moment of all this of the season or the lowest point of the season. is, But the camera work for that is out of this world to follow the ball all the way out of the ground. Um, every bounce before it dropped over that fence. Um, yeah, it's just amazing how many opportunities Harrop continued to get over the last few weeks of the season because he literally did nothing, did he, since after yeah. he signed for us? So, so I think he was unlucky that he came in, got COVID. He just did not get going at all, and I think he was seen as a player that could make a real difference down here. Mm. Alan Judge has got. 5.83 and he had a good I thought, I thought Judge played alright to be fair especially sort of post Christmas I thought, he, I thought he did well for us and it was never for lack of trying but he just struggled in a, in a poorly functioning team at that point um, Norwood uh, Troy Parrott got a 6 um, James Doyle got a 6.33 um, but otherwise everyone is well pretty lousy 4.33 for Caden Jackson 4.83 for Freddie Sears 5 for Ollie Hawkins, a 5.67 for Aaron Dryden. It's not a good season in an attacking sense for anyone, is it? Any any dispute of those scores, Andy? I think. Uh, no, I can't I argue with those. No, I think the, um... the thing that sums it up is when you look at the sort of, I had to update the football manager history section recently, and it's just like Aaron Dryden, one goal in 15. Keenan Bennett's one goal in, tw- in 21 league games. Freddie Sears, two in 20. Caden Jackson, one in 20. Ollie Hawkins, one in 20. It's just incredible how poor the goal records are of our attacking players. Well, then with worst and best moments, as I said, I'll try and provide some light. Um, Worst moment of the season, guys. Um, Joe. Um, God, where'd you start? Um, no, it, it was all so low, but I, I think it. it was just the. I, th- I think for me, it was coming back after that long COVID break and then losing at home to Swindon on the telly, sort of, and getting comprehensively outplayed and 
and beaten by them after a long break when you're thinking if we've got any chance this year we've gone over we've spent i know people have been in and out of the club but we've effectively spent two or three weeks on the training ground what have we come up with to go into the sort of back half of the season and see if we can make them sort of go with this and the answer was nothing deadly score um, mm. andy worst moment for you Aside from turning up at Shrewsbury and seeing them take the goal down, um, oh, the burger though became the best from, moment. Surely, yeah, we had to wait. We did have to wait quite a long time for that, um, and the services weren't great. Um, Fleet, f- the Fleetwood away game, um, what could not have been a more miserable experience. Um, all in all, um, they just lacked everything in in every department that night, and Fleetwood are. Fleetwood will away in particular will always remind me of the the kind of the incident where Joey Joey Barton questioned Ipswich's mentality that time back in the first season and whether whether it was built on solid foundations. So to walk to walk we, we reacted into... pretty well to that criticism though. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Joey Barton, another of football's deep thinkers who uh, who was bang on the money. But every time I walk into that ground, I think of that. And um, it was another night where it was pretty clear that that. Any promotion hope was was once again built on sand. Um, yeah, miserable. Best moment then. Let's end with that. Um, Joe, your best moment of the season. Um, well, for me, for me, it's the takeover. I think it's the thing that we've been crying out for. And when you've obviously subsequently we've heard from the guys and they seem to be very switched on. They seem to have made good footballing decisions so far. And it's it's just a case of. We, we just need to effectively that we, we weren't going to go anywhere with Evans's own and ultimately as fans our ambition is to get to the to the Premier League and there was no way we were going to get there with Marcus Evans's owner where with these new guys it might turn out to be a false storm but everything we've heard so far it it, it feels positive and like I say I don't think anyone's expecting to get there in the next two or three years but it does feel like we can become upwardly mobile again when it's been for so long a downwardly mobile club Andy I can't disagree with that really that's what I've got scribbled down on my notepad yeah. is to it's kind of pick out a to pick out a best moment of that season that's just gone is it's almost silly um it's got it's got it's got to be the thing that that's given real hope for the future and um like Joe said whether it works out the way that we all hope and the way that it it sounds like it could go. We don't know, but it has given hope again. And that, that hope just seemed to be, be fading with every year that passed. Uh, the hope was just vanishing and um, to have a chance at doing something new um, is exciting. So it's just, just to know that we'll be going into next season, feeling that excitement, um, how, regardless of what happens this summer, there'll be an excitement on the first day of next on the next season when hopefully there'll be a decent um decent amount of fans back inside whichever football ground the uh the supercomputer dec- decrees that Ipswich Town will begin their promotion campaign at um yeah that's got it's got to be that it, 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 it does feel as though sort of every every negative thing that's happened has led us to where we are and sort of what Andy was saying earlier about Marcus Evans finally deciding on the way back from Rochdale that he was going to go through the sale it's almost like had Lambert got things a little bit more right and we'd been in the top six, would this have happened? Probably not. And it almost needed to go as badly as it has done for us to get to where we are. So you have to appreciate the job Paul Lambert's done in that respect. So that's my 
main compliment for him. He did so badly that we were able to get a new owner in. <laughs> so, If you want the rainbow, you've got to follow the rain. Do you know who said but you, that? But sometimes you do need to hit rock bottom, don't you, to, to come up, and it does feel like we got there. We did. So <laughs> let's, let's end on that note. Um, guys, thank you so much for your um, your contribution there. Um, we fought through some technical demons and started a little bit later. So um, a good old chunky discussion, but some really useful insights, um, really interesting stuff. So thank you both for that. Um, Joe, where can we um, find you on the Twitter? Um, at Joe Fairs. And your ITFC Academy at ITFC underscore Academy? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. After a bit quiet on there at the moment, seasons. to be fair. Just looking forward to the scholars being announced. So yeah, yeah, keep an eye on that um via Joe's account there. Um Andy, tell us about Kings of Anglia. Tell yeah, us. you can find us you can find us on all the, the normal post uh normal podcast apps. We've got uh, we've got quite a nice little series on there of kind of takeover, fringy kind of takeover stuff. Um like you guys, we we had we had the opportunity to speak to Mark Detmer, that's on there. But there's some quite nice ones on there with with kind of the, the stuff around the fringes of the American um American takeover. I've spoken to some people at, at Tucson, one of the other clubs that Brett Johnson owns, as well as um, people at Phoenix Rising and the Danish club that he's got as well. So for some slightly, slightly different, um, not slightly different podcasts. Go if I, if I'm allowed to plug those. Of course, those we'll plug those. That's do yeah. Go and give your support to the Kings of Anglia and um, yeah, and some good context and wider perspective on. Um, the guys at the three lines. So um, yeah, very much um, endorse that. Um, once again, guys, thank you so much, um, particularly for bearing with the technical stuff, but also plowing through uh, not not a peak season in our history and hopefully better to come. Um, and keep an eye on, on our channel. Plenty more stuff coming over the season, off season. We'll react to as much stuff as, as we can. I think Joe and I certainly will talk about new, new strips at some point. Um, Hopefully we'll chat <laughs> to someone at some point from um, the new ownership team or maybe the somewhere else at the club or an ex-player will we'll find someone like that and um, do stuff there. So keep keep tuned on our channels and subscribe and all that jazz. And what I will say is um, here's to next season, guys. Thanks for watching or listening to the Blue Monday podcast. And thanks to those of you who have kindly supported the channel via Acast or YouTube donations. You can follow us at the usual places on social media and don't forget to subscribe so that you get our new shows first. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. 5 years or 100,000 miles whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport powered 
by fans.